This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Uh, today we have a very, very special guest, one of the greatest footballers we've ever seen in modern times, a uh, very successful manager, uh, and now, I think, by general agreement, the best analyst on British television. <laughs> uh, and uh, w- when he was I here... I argue with that. <laughs> no, when he was here, he was, uh, he was in the Group 1 field with John Giles and Liam Brady. Graeme Sinness, it's a pleasure to welcome you to the stand. And thank you very much for doing it. My, well, I'm saying my pleasure, Eamon. Let's see in an hour's time if I'm still saying that. <laughs> now, Graeme, uh, you were born in Edinburgh. Yep. I always had the impression you were a tough Glaswegian. But no. Edinburgh is a nice posh place. Were you a posh boy? Um, if you call um, being brought up in a prefab um, posh, then I was posh. Now, what, what I was blessed. It was only something I realised later in life that I was the youngest of three sons and that stood me in good stead um, in football terms because I always had someone to play with our, our prefab backed onto a school playing field so I always had somewhere to play I always had someone to play with and the real bonus was like in any sport you must always play with people who are better than you if you yes. want to improve so I had the advantage of two older brothers and you know they never held anything back on me they used to physically mess me around if I um, played up at all so yeah. all those factors I think contributed to me being a football player and what did your dad do he was a glazier really yeah he was a glazier and I, I have to say that I, that I came came from the most wonderful household really happy childhood you know a really solid um, family and um, I was blessed in that respect was it always going to be soccer a professional career as, as a soccer player were you good academically at school I got by academically um it was always going to be football, and it's very easy for me to say now. Well, I, was, I knew it was always going to happen, but I had, yeah. an, I had, I had, and still have the most ridiculous confidence in myself. Yeah, I'm sure some of it misplaced, but it stood me in good stead when the, when the going got tough throughout my career. Did you play for Scotland School Boys? Yeah, I played for um, Edinburgh Schools the under twelve. I, I'm, I'm there's four years between me and my brother, my middle brother, then another four years, and I played in some of my brother's team at primary school. So when he was yeah. 12, I was eight. I can remember playing in, in a cup final with him and um, playing in his team when I had the harder games. Yeah. So I must have shown something at that age. And that was, of course, in Scotland, football uh, was divisive in the sense that there was Celtic and Rangers. Well, and in, in Edinburgh, um, there Hibs was and Hearts and Hibs. Well, you were Hearts and a Rangers man. Well, well, 
My family are all from Leith, which is um, down Easter Road near where the Hibs. Yes. My dad was a Hibs supporter. Right. Um, but what I have to say in Edinburgh, there was no, there was never in my household anyway, there was never any religious aspect to anything. Right. You know, there was good people and bad people. Yeah. It, and and I used to walk every day to primary school with a guy called Peter Marinello, who yes. was a Hibs, Hibs Chelsea, player. Didn't he, in the end? Arsenal. Arsenal. He was the new George That's Best. Course, yeah, yeah, he was. And we would walk to school together. I think he was a year older than me, maybe two years older than me. Um, and he would say goodbye at my school gate. He would walk around the corner to St. Joseph's where he went to school. Right. And I'd wait for him to come back. So we went to school and back to school together. And the only time... There's any issues between the two schools is because we shared this, the playground. There were snowball fights. Okay. You know. Now, uh, you began your uh, career as a pro footballer with Spurs. Yeah, I am. Uh, um, Bill Nicholson was the manager. Uh, had been one of the great managers and mm. coaches. Won the double with Spurs in 1961 League and Cup. Hadn't been done for about 90 years. Uh, and certainly hadn't been done well, in modern times. Let me just tell you how I ended up at Spurs. I played for Scot. Yes, if I played for Scottish schools earlier, I played for Edinburgh schools under twelve. They weren't the, the nationals came in when you were under fifteen. So I played for the, the Scottish schools under fifteen. We played England at White Hart Lane, and the great Dave Mackay had broken his leg for the second time and was watching the game. So he's looked at the program and he's seen as a kid that's gone to the same school as him. Really? So, so after the game, he's recommended to the scout you should go and keep an eye on this kid, and that's why I ended up at at Spurs. And I had four years there. I used to drive Bill Nick mad. You know, I used to tell him, you know, it's eighteen. I should be in the first team. The system then was sort of three midfield players. It was Alan Mullery who was so um, sometimes captain of England, Martin Peters, a World Cup winner, and a young guy who was two years ahead of me, Steve Perriman. I know Steve Perriman. I played against him, actually. He was, he was, he was a right. tough lad. He had yeah. a great attitude to the game. He did, yeah. He was a great And player. for the game. And I um, I used to tell Bill Nick I was better than all three of them when I was 18. And he should be picking me. And I think eventually he got so cheesed off with me um, that he sold me as far from London as he possibly could and I ended up in Middlesbrough. Sold yeah. me for 30 grand. Yeah, I remember Middlesbrough second division team. Then I was playing second division with Millwall. In fact, I played against you um, at the then on one <laughs> memorable occasion when you beat us four um, one. You became a, an outstanding uh, player there. And Jack Charlton was not the manager who brought you there, but he did come into the club, didn't he? Yes. Um, I w- when I went there, it was January time. Um, Stan Anderson, who had bought me, he had yeah. bought me under recommendation. Well, that how I ended up. There's always a story how you end up at a football club. But Harold Shepperson, who was Sir Alf Ramsey's assistant when they won the World Cup, was assistant manager at Middlesbrough. And through sort of England get-togethers, um, people like Martin Peters, Martin Chivers, yes. Alan Mullery, were saying, "You know, look at this kid. You know, he's he's treading water at, at um, Tottenham." And then. The, along with sort of me cheesing the manager off at every opportunity, um, there was never any great communication at Tottenham at that time. Bill Nick was not a great communicator. No. His assistant was a guy called Ed, Eddie Bailey, who was a sort of inside forward of some repute, I believe. They say he was a fabulous player. Oh, he player. was a great player. He um, was, yeah, he was noisy and in your face. And but Bill never said anything. And if, if at any time, you know, someone had said to me, "Look, just be patient. We think you've got a chance." I would have stayed there. I wouldn't have gone to Middlesbrough. Yeah. But I was at home for New Year. I get a call on the 2nd, 3rd of January that we've agreed a fee with Middlesbrough. Um, 
So I said, I'm off then. I'll go. You don't want me. And yeah. that's been my attitude throughout it, my life. Yeah, it was a big call because Spurs were still a big, big club mm. and um, Middlesbrough weren't. Um, although they had been a first division club. But uh, at that stage, um, they were struggling. Um, and when they really took off was with... With, with Jack. Jack. Jack came, yeah. Now, how, tell us about Jack. How did you Jack, find Jack? Jack was... Um, well, I'm sure there's... You know, you've got as many tales about him as I, as I have. He he was very much... It's Jack's way... It was a, it was his first job, incidentally, yeah, as yeah. a coach. Which is it, was his, it was Jack's way or the highway. He basically he painted a picture for me. You're a young man that's, that's got a bit of ability, but there's been hundreds of players like you before there's two doors for you one you can go and achieve something you might even win something another one you'll just drift out the game and just be someone else who was a near miss and I took that on board Jack spoke to me in a way which I responded to it was hard harsh yeah, it was in your face. It was aggressive, and I responded to that. And he didn't necessarily like. I mean, you were a great player on the ball. You're a great player off the ball, but really superb footballer. Thank he you. wasn't mad about no. Uh, the passing he game. No, he didn't like. He didn't like people who um, complicated the game. And I get that. You know, I mean, as, as I sort of grew up and understood the game more, I mean, he a manager's job, Eamon, is to get. At the best from the group of players he has, yes, and come up with a system that suits that group, and and we had players like John Hickton and David Mills who would run forward. Hickey would, you know, challenge for every ball with a centre half. David Mills was a flyer; he could run forward with great pace, and he wanted us to get it forward as quickly as we possibly could to those two. So, a you're getting the benefit of those two, where they're the only people that really matter in a football. Yes, pitch as far as I'm concerned everyone else in the football pitch is there for one reason and one reason only to give those two guys if it is two yeah. maybe three at times as much time and space in the dangerous area to get your goal yeah. everyone else in the pitch is just there for that reason yeah. it's not about showing tricks and dribbling on the halfway line and showing how clever you are on the halfway line it's about getting the ball into them quickly so he, he worked out a system that suited us for me I, 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 because I've been at Bill Nick passing move with Bill Nick yeah. which was all passing move it was all about you know, doing doing um, simple but um, and straightforward things at times, but you were allowed to show that you had a trick in your, in yeah. your locker, if you like. Get to Middlesbrough, none of that. Get it forward. Get it forward quickly. Be aggressive. And I responded to everything he was telling me. And 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 um, I had three great years with Jack. We won the league. By you, you won the you, you won the second mile. division by sixteen points. Seventeen mile. points. We I were by far the best team. We had a really yes, good team. Yeah. And then and then we had a, year, a really good year, I think the first year in the first division, on the Premier, as, it be, as it's called today, where I think we finished fifth or sixth. And if we had if we had spent a few bob then on the right players, we might have been able to push on. But it's yeah. a bit like today. It's never been any different. It's yeah. breaking into that, yeah. that that top bunch is a hard part. So how did Jack come to leave? Who left first, you or Jack? No, Jack left. He felt he had taken it as far as he could. I think he wanted to take a year off. I mean, I'll give you an insight into Jack. Jack would sometimes, not every week, but turn up at quarter to three. We've not seen him since the, the previous game, the week before <laughs> on a Saturday. He'd turn up at quarter to three. Um, he would speak for 30 seconds and we'd go out and play. Yeah. And he'd leave the rest up to yeah. the coaches. But you were well drilled yeah. to use the phrase yeah. of the... Yeah. And, 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 and it was and, a good phrase. And it, you know, we used to have a chuckle about it, but we were winning games, yeah. so it worked. And looking back now, I, I see how it can work. You know, um, without I mean, it's part of your nature. I mean, I remember when you were trying to get away from Spurs, 
the, you were, I was in London myself, mm. London Evening Standard, soon as I should be in the team. Mm. I want to leave to Spurs. Yeah. 18 year old kid, and I'm thinking, wow. You know, but yeah, I've this, never underestimated myself. No, I can no. never be accused of that. Other people do that for you. Mm. But um, the thing about Middlesbrough that's impressive is you adapted uh, to what Jack was saying, got on with it, yeah. and made yourself a top, top player. Mm. Now, you went from uh, Middlesbrough to Liverpool mm. and that's a very very big move because Liverpool were huge well, a huge club tell me about that well I like to think there was a bit, a bit of background to that when I was at Middlesbrough Phil Boersma um, yeah. who's you know, one of my best friends in football he'd been at Liverpool he had Jack at bottom and we landed up great pals living in the same digs and he got he was getting calls from a guy called Bob Rockliffe who used to run a garage in West Derby every morning Bob Paisley would go into that garage to pick his horses yeah and Bob Rockliffe would put the bets on for him yeah so Bob was saying it was a great pile of boys who would say look Liverpool are interested you know they want to buy your mate yeah. so I knew there was an interest from very early on yeah and as that went on um, I can remember getting a call Leeds were interested, Man City were interested, as well as Liverpool. And, and Leeds were a big club then. Yeah, and I, I can remember thinking, I got a call, and I, I, I was making noises I wanted to leave, and the chairman, Charlie Amer of Middlesbrough, said, no, we're not, we're not selling them at this time. And I sort of pushed it. You know, yeah. I'm, yeah. And that's, I know we talk about the enormous power players have today. You know, and this was, it was a transfer record between two English clubs, so it was yeah. big money yeah. in its day. It was, really, it was like it is today. Um, so I had a fair bit of leverage over them. Anyway, I get a call one day and I'm told to go to the Queen's Hotel in Leeds where um, they've agreed a fee with a club. They wouldn't tell me who it was. So I drive from Middlesbrough to Leeds in a black BMW. I just treated myself to, thinking I was all right, you know, <laughs> tackle a lad. And I said to myself, if it's Leeds or, or indeed if it's Man City, I'm not going. Right. I'm only going to go if it's Liverpool. Right. Um, and that might sound strange, but I, had, I lived in Diggs, at 53 Chip Chase, Chip Chase Road in Linthorpe, with a, with a lady called Phoebe Haig, who was like my second mum. She used to allow me to get away with murder, but she looked after me royally. Uh, sadly, she's no longer with us, but as daft as it sounds, and you're going to laugh at this, there was part of me thinking, I don't really want to leave. Yes. You know, I'm so happy. Sure. I was, you know, I was Billy Big Nuts. Yes. At Middlesbrough. Yeah, yeah. I was, yeah. a, you know, the sort of. Yeah. Most famous and the, yeah. I feel like the man, the biggest player. Yeah, so I was enjoying life in Middlesbrough. People think of Middlesbrough is not a very nice place, but you know that was in the old days, ICI and British Steel. But you get into North Yorkshire and there's beautiful parts of yes. of um, Cleveland and North Yorkshire. Uh, anyway, so I get to the Queen's Hotel and it is Bob Paisley's there, John Smith the chairman and Peter Robinson the secretary. So it was Liverpool, and then I ended up driving back to Liverpool with Peter Robinson in the car. I can remember him not being too happy because I was young and drove too fast. Coming to the end of the M62, when you get into Liverpool, there's a bit of a hill and then a dip. And I think maybe the front wheels just left the, the road <laughs> as I got to the brow of this hill and Peter Robinson gripped both sides of his seat. Yeah. So I remember that vividly. And it was a... I can't even remember how the discussions went in terms of what they were going to pay me. It's just where's the contract I want to sign. You want to remember in those days, I mean, if you had a chance to go to Barcelona, Real Madrid, Man United, Bayern Munich, or Liverpool, 
if you're a Northern European, it might have been different yes. for Latins or Southern yes. South Americans, but if you're a Northern European, you'd have chose Liverpool above all the sports. Yeah, I mean, the, this is... Uh, is a great club still, but this was really they just won the European Cup for the first time. Yes, and um, Paisley. Um, tell me w- what you made of Paisley. I mean, he has been the most successful manager, English manager, mm-hmm. of all time in terms of yeah. winning what's now the Champions League, what was then the European Cup. Three times the and, and you won five um, leagues, uh, first division, which is now Premier League uh, winners' medals, and three European Cups. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's extraordinary. Well, can I, can I just say, I like to, and that's, that's not, I'm, I don't, I'm not bragging about it, but I would like, part of me wants to think that I was Bill Nick's biggest ever mistake. Yes. You know, he sells me you for were. 30 grand. For I four, can four, that. Four years later, I'm, so, I'm sold for what was a record transfer fee between two English clubs. I'm a defensive midfield player. As it was then, as it is now, the big money goes on strikers. So, yes. Um, and again, because of my personality, you, know, you hear that transfer fee is a burden to people. Yeah. No, I, I love that. <laughs> I never say it, but I love that. And um, I responded to it. So then I go to I go to Liverpool, and I'm working with Bob Paisley, who was a man of few words. Yeah. Then you had Joe Fagan, who was a wise old owl as well, and then Ronnie Moran, Ronnie Moran. who sadly died uh, and, last week. And I said at the time, it's something I never thought about, but Ronnie was the biggest influence on me. Yeah, as a player in my career, I met him. I had the good fortune to meet him because I was playing for Manchester United reserves at Anfield one night. And I was playing. I was. You would certainly, certainly hear him. Yeah, but he was also. I was cocky, yeah. he was a cocky little Irish sod. Yeah. But he was a funny man, wasn't he? Yeah, always yeah. ready with a quip yeah, and joke and, and friendly. He warm. Was, well, he has, he was sort of the chief. Well, let's go to Bob Paisley first. Bob Paisley was a was a man who um, didn't say very much, and was a great judge of player yeah. you look at the players he bought he um, he knew his football inside out but couldn't always express himself very well mm. and it was strange when we got to after he announced he was going and he was in the last year of his he would, as a captain I have to go to dinners with him you know where he'd be sort of making farewell speeches from Christmas onwards yes. and I noticed a real change in him he became such a good after dinner speaker he was yeah. really funny. His timing improved. His stories, he sort of embellished the stories. He just got better and better. Yeah. And and it was in there all the time. Yeah, he was a Geordie, wasn't he? Yeah, it was in there all the time, yeah. the storytelling. I mean, he had quite a, you know, he was in the he was in the British Army and his stories of North Africa were yes. quite, quite interesting. And, of course, he'd been Bill Shankly's uh, right-hand right-hand man. man. And Shankly was such a colourful, robust he character. Exactly, uh, but Paisley had he did it his way. Well, he's the most successful. I think it was seven years he was yes. there. He um, he was he was. I I was lucky. I got on really well with him. I ended up. I mentioned this character. Who was in the team when you arrived? I mean, Dalglish. Yeah, he had just bought he had bought Kenny in the summer. Yeah, and and Alan Hansen, and then the the team the team early on Rush. would have been no no he came later. The team early on would have been. Which arguably might have been the best Liverpool team I played in. Certainly, you know, the stats might suggest that. It would have been sort of Ray Clements in goal, Phil Neal right back. Um, Alan Hansen, sometimes with Emlyn Hughes at centre back, and then Phil Thompson, Joey Jones at left back. Um, even in the early days, Tommy Smith was in the team. Yeah. Um, and then in the midfield, it would be Jimmy Case on the right. 
Ray Kennedy on the left, Terry McDermott and I in yes. the centre, yes. and David Johnston and Kenny Douglas up front. Right. Yeah. And I think one year we, we conceded, I think we conceded in one season, 14 goals. Yes. And we won the league easily. And I think we conceded at home. So you're buying a season ticket and someone says to you, this season you're only going to see your team concede five goals yes. at home. You would say, well, you know, what have you been drinking? You're off your head. Yeah. We conceded five goals. I think it was five goals at home in one season. And we won the league um, by a country mile. And I, I, think it's, I think it's true. I know that someone will Google this, but the top goal scorer against us that year was me. I scored two OGs. <laughs> I remember scoring one at Bolton and there was one somewhere else. Yeah. And I think I was the top goal scorer against us at the 15. I scored two of them. Tell me this. Uh, in that team, and indeed the teams you went on to play in with the likes of Ian Rush, I think you played with Ronnie Whelan. Uh, Ronnie was a later, fabulous player. Later on. Robbie, Ronnie was a fabulous player, wasn't he? Clever, clever. Yeah. But um, there's so much talk about tactics now <laughs> in the game. Uh, and almost every conversation <laughs> I can see you're laughing already oh, but, I'm going to tell you a story which people yeah, won't believe the, the, the thing that makes uh, teams fabulous is the great players correct and there's no tactic that can uh, defy that mm -hmm. you, you'd agree with that wouldn't you 100% um You've got no chance of being successful as a manager unless you've got good senior players because you spend so little time yes. with them. You, know, yes. you think you've got, call it five working days in match day, five working days, you've got two hours each day with them, 10 hours in a week, and you're in and out of their face on match days. Yeah. So call it a 12-hour period in a week, you can, you can make an impression on these young men. Yeah. So it's that, the senior pros. Yeah, because they would the then maybe go for a game of golf with them. They may yeah. socially, they may live in the same area as them. Yeah, and it's the Trump every day for training. I think if you look back at Fergie's success, why he kept the likes of Gary Neville on, Steve Ryan Bruce, Giggs, Steve Bruce. I'm thinking the ones he kept game. on for a long time. Yeah. Ryan Giggs. Yeah, he brought schools back because every day in training they set. Yeah. the example this is how we train yeah. this is what you have to do to be a top team to win the big trophies so he held on to them and, you know and when Ryan Giggs chucks it he chucks it right you know that whole cycle ended with both of them at the same time more or less yes now just going into that Liverpool dressing room with these big players mm -hmm. having yourself a, you know a, a big presence um, and loads of self-confidence did you go in and say I'll be quiet or did you go on go no, in no. full on full on I mean I, I've gone in there and there was no inferiority complex I respected them but I knew deep down I know I'm every bit as good if not better and yes most of you. and that that again might sound terribly big headed but that's that attitude has stood me in good stead throughout my career when the going got a bit tough and maybe life not maybe outside of football as well but let me tell you a story when you're talking about the tactics and and formations and managers, you know, being brilliant tacticians, like we've got several um, being called that in the Premier League right now. I go to Liverpool. I trained from Monday to Friday. It was The warm-up was walk around the perimeter of Melwood, jog around the perimeter, a few stretches, three-quarter pace, six sprints, um, five-a-sides, finish them, yep. a few sprints, and go home. Yep. So that's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So my first game is West Brom away from home. 
I'm in the dressing room at quarter to three and I'm looking around, around the dressing room. There's John Toshak, Steve Highway, Ray Clemens, Emily Hughes, Did you play, play Tommy Smith. No, he had gone. He'd gone. He, yeah. they replaced, gone to Hamburg. They replaced yeah. Kevin with Kenny sort of five, six months before I got there. So I'm in the dressing room with all these players and I'm looking around. And at quarter to three, I look at the clock, I think, quarter to three. And Joe Fagan, I said, Joe, Joe, can I have a quick word? Yes, son. And he, Joe was was such a cute, clever man. He spoke in such a soft voice. Yes. You actually had to lean into him yes. to hear him properly. So, yeah, what is it, son? And so I'm, I've said, Joe, look, I've, I've been here a week and no one said anything to me. How's it you want me to play football? Yeah. Well, Joe was not a man who used bad words. No. But he did. He said... Um, F off and a big booming voice so yeah. now all the lads are looking at me we've spent all this effing money on you and you're asking me how to play football and we've turned and walked away and I thought <laughs> that's right I'll okay. never ask that one again <laughs> and that I never ever asked another question never no. asked it but that simplifies it I'm in the dressing room with all these players mm. just look at them just watch them closely and that's and yeah. that was the theme throughout yeah. When you're a younger man, you're expected to look at them because the message is coming from the big guys, how you live, how you train, yeah. your attitude to training. And then when you become the term that Ronnie Moran christened, a big head, yeah. a big head man that you were a regular in the first team and you carried a bit of authority in the dressing room, the big heads. Yes. So when you become a big head, it was your job to pass that down. And sadly, I have to say, I left to go to Italy for two years, then Glasgow Rangers for five years. When I came back seven years later, at the age of 13, that would have been 39, as manager of Liverpool, yes. that had gone out of the dressing room. Yes. People had stopped passing that information down the line. Yeah, and if we were to equate Liverpool uh, then, the, the Liverpool you played for, um, with a team, a comparable team, you were dominant in England, mm -hmm. you were dominant in Europe. Mm -hmm. It would be like Barcelona. Yeah. I mean, in, in other words, the, this was before Heysel, before that tragedy, before the ban mm. on English teams competing, and you were the Barcelona of that era. Yeah, we, we you won the Champions League uh, three times. Yeah, but I, I, I think we underperformed. When I look at the teams that knocked us out of the, the European Cup, come Champions League, we there's teams that should never have beaten us. Yeah, yeah, sure. But you just let me um, make the point I was going to try and make, Graham, which is that. When you look at Barcelona now, or mm. in the wonderful years they've had since 2008, um, you'd be able to make assumptions about what's going on. And this goes to your work as an analyst mm. and how important the Chavis, Iniestas are and were, and Messi, to that dressing room. Mm. So it's the same thing, isn't it? The same. Yeah, 100%. Listen, yeah. Guardiola gets a job at Barcelona. The three years before Rijkaard had it, the three years they had won two La Ligas, one European Cup. Yeah. So, you know, he's taken over a pretty healthy situation. He's taken over a 21-year-old Messi. Yeah. A 23 or 24-year-old Iniesta. A 27-year-old Xavi. Yeah. 28-year-old Xavi. A 29-year-old Puyol. He's taken yeah. over a fantastic situation. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter who got that, that team at that time. You were destined to have... I think he made success. one decision, Graham. Got, I don't know if you agree with me. He made two. Well, one that I can um, identify... He um, he took Messi off the right uh, well, wide right and gave him a freeish role in the middle because I remember Messi uh, well, playing against Patrice Evra in the European and United beat them over two legs. He didn't get a kick in either leg, mm -hmm. Messi. 
Because that was just, was, I know it sounds he emptied, weird. The first thing he did, he got rid of Ronaldinho. Yeah, and Deco. Um, Deco and the centre forward ended up in England for a while. African player. Um, Eto. Yeah. And and they, they weren't putting a shift in. And he made them more um, energetic yeah. by the ones he brought in. But, you know, I think inheriting that situation at that time... Right. Um, you can only dream about that as a manager, right? And and the um, the Liverpool you played, that team you played in, the Leeds were around in, in the same era. Yeah, they had just tailed off. They were coming to the end. And when Fer- I was Ferguson was now he was still at Aberdeen. He was still at Aberdeen. There was no Man United. That was always a great fear. Peter Robinson said to me when I went back as manager. The great fear is that if that lot along the East Blanks Road, which he meant Man U, ever yeah. get their act together. Because you know, you were there. Man United is a monster football club. Yes. You know, enormous appeal throughout the world. Yeah. Now, you went to Sampdoria uh, mm. after Liverpool. Um, why? It was an unusual move. Well, I um, I um, was 31. I'd you know, been captain for three years, won the league each year. I was captain. Won three European Cups, won four League Cups. I was captain of my country, captain of Liverpool. Why would I go? Um, well, let me ask you before you tell me about Sampdoria, about um, Ali McLeod and that, the World Cup. That was that 1978. Went with Scotland and Ali McLeod had been uh, a Scottish team manager and he, before you left your training camp, he said, we we're going to win the World Cup. <laughs> and everyone laughed. Um, because he was a, a likable. He was a he was a dreamer, a lovely man. But a dreamer, yeah, a lovely man. Um, I felt a bit of a sort of outsider. I was in that group. I got into the forty for the seventy four World Cup in West Germany. And the likes of you know Billy Bremner, Dennis Law, um, and then in seventy eight, and I didn't make the final twenty two. But in the seventy eight, I did. Um, I'd just gone to Liverpool like, six months before. But they had a, the team that qualified them for the World Cup, you know, the midfielder, Bruce Rieck, Don Masson. Yes. He's a Hartford. So I, I went to Argentina as not going to be in the first 11. Right. Um, I can remember we, the night we're flying out of Presswick, there was a, a farewell in Hamden. There was about 40,000 people turned up. We were in an open deck bus going round Hamden. And I was sort of trying to keep a low profile. This is all a little bit embarrassing. I'm not, you know... Had nothing to do with this of getting to Argentina, but I'm here. So anyway, we went to Argentina, and as you, you know, yeah. Ali had got the whole nation excited. <laughs> you know, we're gonna we're gonna win the World Cup. You know, yeah. Scotland won. No one, no European nation, like had won a European Cup in South America at that time until Brazil did last time out in Brazil, until West Germany did in Brazil. Sorry, um, West Germany. Show me East Germany did in Brazil. Um, so we went there full of. You know, high expectation, and in the very first game we got beat by Peru or Chile three one. Yeah, and um, then we drew nil nil with Iran, and I can remember I was on the bench, and it's nil nil, and Ali McLeod's looking looking along. Was it one nil or was it one one or nil nil against Iran? Anyway, I can remember Ali McLeod looking along the bench to bring someone on. Every time he looked down the bench, everyone on the bench would look the opposite <laughs> way so he could, didn't catch his eye. No one wanted to be involved in it. And then yeah. we so we drew that game. And then the third game we were playing, we ended up being finalists, Holland, 
and we're beating them 3-1 with about 10 minutes to yeah. go and if we make it 4-1 we're going to go through to the next group yeah. stages so it ended up 3-2 I think 3-2 I think Johnny yeah. Rep last one in from about 30 yards yeah there was a wonderful little player played for Preston who made a goal oh, for Scotland Archie Archie Gemmel. Archie Gemmel. Yeah, he's. I think he's dead now, Archie. No, no, he's still alive. He's still alive. Yeah, he's I played against Archie. Yeah, you would have done. Yeah, Archie's yeah. quite feisty. Yeah. Um, Archie um, actually accused me of being made of chocolate. He didn't say it to my face, but he wrote somewhere if he was made of chocolate, he'd eat himself. Yeah. And Archie was 100% right when I was a young man. Yeah. No yeah. argument with that. But <laughs> okay. Archie, I think you finally got a really cute pass to go on that run as well. I think, you're still, that I think you're still in that zone. But anyway, <laughs> uh, stars are allowed to be like that. <laughs> Sampdoria, was it time to make a few quid um, and experience? Well, I, I was married, as I said, I was captain of my country, captain of Liverpool, just won the European Cup, won the league, won the League Cup, we'd done the treble at Liverpool. I was married to a woman at the time who, had, who had, was about to inherit some money and um, she had to get out of the country so that's why I went right. signed a three year deal spent two years there you know at 31 I've gone there with, with an attitude that if it doesn't work I can always come back and sure. you know, play for somebody else and, and I went there and thoroughly enjoyed it at that time Serie A was like in the 80s it was like what the Premier League is now yeah. it was paid the best wages and all, all the big players were there how did you find football there? Doddle yeah, well, funny, I asked the same question when I interviewed Liam Brady and Liam had gone to Juventus and he said exactly the same thing. It was easy. He said loads of time, space. For a midfield player, it was easier. Yes. Because what would happen, you'd get the ball, so you wouldn't have the ball and you'd retreat. So the other team had time and space on them. Well, as a midfield player in England, you're used to having someone up your backside, yeah, yeah. you know, wanting to leave a bit on you, every opportunity. You couldn't get turned... Um, when I went to Italy, they allowed you to turn and, and make passes. It was right. very easy. Yeah. Now, um, the you move into management um, was a big one uh, to manage Rangers. Yeah. Um, just going back to Italy, Sampdoria yeah. were a young team. And the reason they bought me, they are a young team and they brought me to sort of be the They met some very good figure. players over the years, didn't they? Well, Viali was there, but yeah. he was 19. Mancini would have been Manc 18, yeah. 19. yeah. Vic with a really good centre back. Yeah, we had some Trevor Francis was there. Yeah, we had some good players, and then we won we won the, the Italian Cup in the first year, the first time I'd won a trophy. Yeah, so and that team went on, if you remember, to get to a European Cup final at Wembley, losing to Barcelona the first yes, time. Barcelona, that's right. Yeah, won the European Cup. So anyway, yeah, so I'm there. I signed for three years, and then after two years, I get the chance to go back and manage Rangers. Yeah, I'd never grew up as a Rangers supporter didn't really go and watch them a lot other than midweek games yeah. and European nights because on a Saturday I play for my yeah. school then my boys club so I was never a great watcher of football but I did I must have gone there maybe 20 times so I class myself as a Rangers supporter just before you, we leave your playing career Graham I mean there you were a hard player and Giles was mm. a very hard player would you agree yes not known for it you have to be Generally, very careful when if you're playing against Johnny Charles. Yeah, and uh, the, this is a question I want to ask you because I see so many bad tackles now, and I'm thinking, uh, you know, to a recent tackle here when Seamus Coleman yes. got done by young Taylor, the Welsh mm. fullback. Uh, I think the game is pretty wicked now, but John says, "Don't be stupid." When Sunes was around and I was around, and you know. Uh, Peter Story at Arsenal 
uh, Chopper Harris at Chelsea yeah. and all of that I mean do you think it was a much harder game physically dirty uh, yeah. Then, well, yeah, than for, it for, is now. Yeah, for, for and you were right in there, weren't you? Yeah, for for um, a number of reasons. I think there was more cynicism then. There was more of that. Every team had someone that you had to be careful of. Yeah, and then you're talking about Johnny Giles. There's maybe four or five Did in you his play team. Against John? Yeah, I played. I was a young man, maybe nineteen, twenty. Played at Middlesbrough, and I've tried to be aggressive to him and Bremner, and I can remember. I, I went out to get out. there was a short free kick taken and I've just sort of helped it on as it's been played to me someone takes it it's played to me I've helped it on and I ended up kicking the bottom of Johnny Giles's left yeah. or right foot which he'd left it was a stinger yeah. yeah it was a sore one yeah. um, and then I remember in the same game as I said I was obviously talking too much and going after the wrong people because I got sorted out in that game really the only time in my career um that was by Terry Yorath. So I'd yeah. been aggressive to Jalzy and yeah. Bremner, and one of them was going to have a dip at me. And I've gone for a ball with Bremner as my right foot landed. Terry Yorath came and caught me on the outside of my knee. Right. It was a lesson well learned. And um, yeah. after that, I think prior to that, you know, you think you're the meanest, toughest guy out there. Yeah. But after that, <laughs> you, you really learn, you. After that, you learn to pick and choose yeah. when you want to when you leave yourself exposed you know the, and I never ever got I got caught once by Paul Marner when I went to Liverpool but nothing like that just just stitches um, and then you learn to pick and choose your battles when you're favourite if you're not favourite and there's a remotest chance that right. that guy might think he can he can leave a bit on you because every, as I said every team had one two yeah. three of those types so you, I was careful after that and I, I picked my battle. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. burrow.com slash ACAST. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, Rangers. Um, 
what Celtic were the dominant team mm-hmm. it was a two uh, club league although Alex well, not Fer- at that time now Alex Ferguson had broken that uh, with Aberdeen hadn't he he'd mm-hmm. broken that sort of duopoly that dominated Scottish football and there was Dundee United as well yes. under Jim McLean yeah so and Hearts were strong as well yeah so when you went there what did you find well I found a club that you know the gates were down to 18,000 then won the league for nine years um, and they were drifting yeah and I think you know again because of the personality thinking you know being a player I've won big trophies I've played for my country I, under- I understand football but you don't understand football until you not management anyway until you go to the other side yeah. and then all of a sudden there's a terrible feeling of responsibility and when it doesn't go well you feel you've let people down and you started as a player manager didn't you then? player, yeah. player manager but, and I got sent off from my very first game which was at Easter Road Heads yeah. Ground um, I remember getting sent off and as I'm walking off I look into the front row of the director's box now this Easter Road was a ground that my dad used to sneak into yeah. to play football on at night yeah. when he was a kid and I look at him and his head's down he can't look at me and again you know tough moment yeah and the, the press from England had come up to watch this and I just gave yes. them the most wonderful copy yeah yeah. great great day for the, the media that day yeah but we went on to win the league that year and then the five years I was at at Rangers we won four leagues we, we did we did well there great, yeah great, great, great team. and turned the whole thing on its head because yeah. Celtic had been the, you know dominant uh, one of the things you did there uh, was sign a Catholic mm. um, and I have been to Ibrox um, I was there actually the day they unveiled Paul Gascoigne mm-hmm. um, I just went to try and get him to let me write his book actually but um, I, I'll tell you that story some other time he had an agent horrible little fella and yeah. I'd brought books I'd written was that Stein? Stein? Stein. Yeah. Stein Stein yeah and I'd bu- written a biography of you two a biography of Matt Busby mm-hmm. and my own little book and I was bringing these so that Paul could read them to see Good that, I, that. Well, that I wasn't Good pictures in there were there no that, it was, <laughs> that I wasn't one of those journalists who, who, who destroyed people they wrote mm. books about and I went up to Melstein was Melstein. his name uh, while Paul was ha- doing this press thing and I said Mr Steen oh I'm and he says what are you doing here mate yeah. Yeah. Oh, I saw you playing for Millwall what are you doing now so I said well I think a, you're in there I'm a journalist yeah it's not much good this is I said I'm a journalist I said, uh, and uh, I've written a couple of books and uh, I just wondered if Paul would be interested or you and Paul in letting me you know do his biography because I think he's such a great player and it's a good story and I said he said what's in the bag I said well I've actually brought books along to sh- that he can read to reassure him in case he thought I'd do a hatchet job on him oh I mean he says don't be fucking silly Paul doesn't read books <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't get to gear yeah, yeah. anyway one of the things that struck me that day were the pictures of the Queen mm. and the distinctly, uh, overtly um, Protestant thing vibe but it's, but it's in the ground. Thing. It's not such a bad thing to have a picture of the Queen. No, not at all. I know I, I'm very fond of the Queen, but it just mm. was. It was. I'd never been in football ground because I went to, you know, the director's mm. room and did a little tour yeah. of it. However, the the, the no, question I, I, I'm going to ask you is about Mo Johnson, yeah. uh, who was a, well, a Celtic player, uh, a Catholic, mm-hmm. and you had the guts and the fortitude and the courage to well, sign him. 
what happened with Rangers managers prior to me on the very first day of your press conference the third question and fourth question then would be would you would you send a Catholic and of course every manager prior to me said yeah of course I would and then I was asked a question and I think they got the same response I said yeah of if the right one came along I'd definitely do it and you get the you know the, the journalists certainly from the East End side of Glasgow that team down there their supporters would roll their eyes yeah. and say yeah really you know we've you know, heard all this before so a few years later um, we were playing a home game so a few years later there's a picture appears in the Evening Times in Glasgow Morris Johnson with Billy McNeil and a Celtic shirt being held up against him he's coming back from Nantes yes and um Two or three days later, we were at home at Ibrox playing a game. I walked down the stairs and I was walking around to, to the left where the dressing rooms were and over to the right, there's a radiator. Bill McMurdo, Morris's agent, sitting leaning against the radiator. As I walked down, I didn't stop, it was just over my shoulder. I said, Billy, should I let us know about Morris? We would have been interested. And as I take another 10 steps, he's actually on my shoulder now, just before I'm pushing the door to go into right. the dressing room area. Do you mean it? Do you mean it? I said, yeah, come with me. So I took him into the little office I had there. I said, yeah, I'd be interested. And then that's how it developed. And we ended up signing him. And he it was caused right. an absolute sensation. Yeah, well, I and first he, he took a normal stick. You yeah. took a normal stick. But, but <laughs> I tried to get Ray Houghton mm. before. And he didn't fancy it. I tried to get um, what's his name, John Collins. Yes, he didn't fancy it. You know, he did originally, but then because they probably knew what they were yeah, going to be yeah, in I for. Think, well, well, Mo Johnson was, it. yeah. And you know, that's why Morris deserves a great deal of credit. Yeah. But I come back to it. And, you know, when I asked that question in the press conference, um, and I said, "Yeah, I sign it." I, I then added, "I said, look, I'm married to a Catholic woman. My kids are christened Catholics. So you're saying." I can I can be married and have children christened but I can't work with any Catholic I said I will do it if the, if the right one comes along and how much hostility did you, did you feel around your own club um, well there was reservations obviously I had to run it past um, David Murray he sort of hesitated briefly to be fair to him he said let's do it yeah, it took him maybe 10 seconds and a couple of deep breaths to agree to it right. but he knew and we all knew it was the right thing to do and how did the media react? Because um, there's sectarianism there as well, isn't it? Yeah. Obviously, the Celtic supporters in the media weren't too happy. It's not the right thing to do. And there were some religious people in Glasgow on the Catholic side said it wasn't a good thing. Did his form suffer? No, he was fabulous for me. He was? Yeah, he was fabulous for me. And, I'd, and he's the one out of all of it deserves the most credit because he, you know, I come back to it, maybe why... John Collins wouldn't come because his family lived in Scotland. Sure, absolutely. No, no. So Morris was prepared yeah. to do all that. Did you sign a black Catholic? No, I signed. I, I, um, I tried to get the whole sort of spectrum <laughs> in there. I signed Abby Cohen, the late Abby Cohen, unfortunately, yeah. Jewish lad. Yes. And I signed um, Mark Walters, who's a black yes. guy from Aston Villa. Right. And all did really well for Because racism was also a thing <laughs> associated come, with Rangers. Yeah, but Not I with come, you. But I come back to it. You know, it was never part, it's never been part of my life and never will be. Um, it's not the way I was brought up. They were good players, right time. Let's do it. Now, just while we're talking about sectarianism, religion uh, and associated matters, a little known fact about you, Graham, <laughs> that 
you have a, a strong connection with this country because uh, your wife mm. is related to you one to. of our great icons, <laughs> Dickie Rock. Yeah, my um, my mother-in-law, who's, you know, they say you should always check out your um, future wife by seeing what the mother looks like. Well, I've got, I did that. And um, <laughs> I am um, married to a, a very beautiful woman, but she gets the look from her mother. And maybe her dad's involved, but uh, my mother-in-law is a beautiful woman, um, and her cousin is Dickie Rock. So right. there's, a, there's an Irish connection there. Did you ever hear him sing? I heard his records, of course. Oh, yeah. I've met him several times. He's a magical singer. Did you, did you meet Dickie? I've met him, yeah. Yeah, he used yeah. to drive around town in a roller uh, when times were tough. Yeah, well. <laughs> I like him, but uh, he well, was... He's very famous here, isn't he? Oh, jeez, yeah, he's yeah. a legend. He's an Irish icon. I mean, yeah. there's not many... There's only one Dickie, and, you know, the, the girls used to shout at the dancers... Dicky, spit on me. <laughs> he was so, that was enough. He had a couple of shows. He was doing a couple of shows here just in the last couple of weeks. He still, he still gigs and he still, you still see him on the late, late so show. So I dine out and I, I brag about that every opportunity. Now, you went from Rangers where you did an amazing job over a period of five, six years, um, back to your old club, Liverpool, mm. to manage them. There were still some players at the club that you'd played with. Yep. Uh, and, of course, they were getting quite old now. Well, there were, there were the vast majority of It didn't of go well, did it? No, it was a tough, tough job. The job was always the job I was going to get offered at some time. And I, you know, given the start I'd had at Glasgow Rangers, thought I can turn around any job. Yes. You know, before I go to Liverpool, you know, they, they had a two years they hadn't won anything. The squad, the squad, the vast majority of them were over 30, 31, and they were on the wane. And um, you know it was post Hillsborough. These these players have been going to ten dozen funerals a day for a fortnight. Yes, must have been so tough on them. Yes, and it, you know that had left a mark on them. And 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 I believe that Kenny resigned because he couldn't say he, goodbye to those players. That's what people say. Yes, you know it would have been so tough for him to say, "Look, your time's up here." Anyway, I, I walk in the door thinking, you know, I'm the solution to the problems, and. Um, made big mistakes uh, the, the obvious there's one very obvious one I took it as a real compliment Peter Robinson the chief executive and you'd have to say is responsible you have to put him up there with Shankly Paisley Fagan yes Moran, I met Peter Robinson he's a very nice is, man is yeah. being responsible for their glory years because he he, yes. he ran the club he would be the chief executive today, but he was still the secretary anyway he said to me do you want to do contracts and by that it means you know, do you want to yeah speak to the players about what they're getting and what they're not getting because I'd done everything at Glasgow Rangers I said yeah I'll do that that was schoolboy error because if you imagine it happened to me yeah. with Rushy I signed Dean Saunders he finds out what Dean Saunders is getting on Rushy knocks on the door he says that you got to pay me the same money as what um, yeah. Dean Saunders on I said well you know money's just gone crazy now the tra bigger transfer fees yeah. he said um, and I'm having to say no to him on a Wednesday yes you know, one of the greatest strikers the club's ever had. Yes. And then on the Saturday, three days later, I'm saying, you've got to give me everything today, Russia. You've got to give me everything. So, you know, it, it was, I'd made a mistake with that. The other big mistake I made, I had people, um, four in particular, who came to me and said, look, I'm 31, I'm nearly 32. Um, I've got a chance for a three-year contract somewhere else. Can I go? What I should have said, Eamon, was, I hear what you're saying, and when the time's right, when I can get someone in to replace you, you can go. My attitude then 
was why would you want to leave Liverpool? Is there yes. something wrong with you? Yeah. You know, Liverpool for me was still yes. the biggest and best club in the world yes. to play for. So I would say to them, tell you what, get them to ring me this afternoon and you can go tomorrow. And I'll fill out with those players because they were... Right. It was, it was, it was the wrong attitude by me. I should have been cuter. So I was selling players um, maybe that had a year left in them and or certainly come on as a sub and be an impact for me. And then I was going to in a rush to replace them Phil Thompson was this, uh, uh, he was in charge of Liverpool's reserve mm. team and famously you and he didn't get on mm. uh, to put it mildly yeah basically um, I think it would go back had you you'd played with each other and hadn't got on yeah, no we had an incident funnily enough here in Dublin where he's, he's, I've thrown a pint of lager over him in a, in a bar one night yeah um and then I think it's sort of, you know that can happen when young men sure. are out and there's yeah, a drink yeah. involved um, and I think maybe it started from his side when we signed Mark Lawrence and were attempted to play three at the back in pre-season and I've said that I can remember you know we were getting beat 3-0 by the kids at Melwood in a training game and I've said hey listen we've always played four at the back what are we doing we're playing this way to just accommodate people yeah. we're changing our whole system system that's brought us success so we ended up, you know, he ended up being out of the team. And then, latterly, um, the captaincy was taken away from him by Bob Paisley and given to me. So that's where the, the bad feeling would be. But then, I, then I have to say, subsequently, we've, we now speak, we now made up, but there was, you know, a good decade where sure. I would have nothing to do with him. And I think justified, and I'll tell you why I think it's justified. I'm in hospital, having just had open-heart surgery. He um, was in the boot room after we had played Man United, and beating them 2-0 I, I remember ironically it was the first time Russia had scored against Man United really? I think he got both goals at Anfield that day and that sort of killed their chances of winning the league it was the year before they won the league in, in Fergie's term I think Leeds had won earlier in the day That's right, yeah. at Sheffield yeah. United I believe or Wednesday and then we were playing Man United Man United had to come to Anfield and beat us That's to stay right. in the race yeah. Yeah. and Tosh Russia got two goals after the game um, Fergus in there in the boot room along with Brian Kidd Ronnie Moran was there Roy Evans was there and Tomo was there and Tomo was piping on about we've changed this we've done that we shouldn't have done that we should have done this um, afterwards Brian Kidd phoned up Archie Knox who used to be at Man United who was then back at Rangers with Walter Smith and related or relayed the story to Archie said you, you've got to tell Walter to tell Graham because what happened today in the boot room was not good and should never have happened that would have been relayed on the Sunday on the Monday Walter drove from Glasgow to where I was in hospital in Cheshire and relayed the story to me yeah. and I said well he's left me with no option so when I got hospital I sacked him, sacked him. just uh, about that time uh, Graham well, I have to say subsequently we have made up and um, I'm sure that's something he wishes sure. he hadn't it done. happens you know as a, as a manager I'm, I'm you know I want yeah 100% loyalty I don't want someone no. and against our biggest historical rivals it yeah. shouldn't have taken place no um, and I'm sure if he's using he would regret that now one of the worst things that happened to you um, was when you had that heart attack mm. uh, you were in hospital uh, you had a photograph taken with your wife and it was published in the sun mm -hmm. and the sun is a no-go after 
it's not one of it's not one of the worst things Emma. It's, the, it's the by far the worst thing happened. yeah I, did, I know it's a terrible thing because it, it, it went on and it was very lurid and, and horrible and just to explain to our listeners who, who may be younger and not remember that the son had alleged that at Hillsborough at that tragedy it wasn't the police who were at fault it was the victims mm-hmm. uh, who were drunk uh, Which it was is a horrible time. Totally and the, disproven. Yes, it's been totally disproven. And the sun is not welcome in Liverpool to this day uh, and even working. But it was believed that you'd given this paper which was you know uh, okay, okay, okay. A, an exclusive yeah, for their front page for for money that was the allegation yeah. well can I give you a bit of background to it what happened they got they got the story that I was having this operation there was an article appeal in the sun that was that was fine that, no problems because at that time there was current Liverpool players that I was managing were doing columns in the sun yes and there was players ex-players one in particular who was a arch critic of mine Tommy Smith yes I, if you want to go into I'll give you a reason why we became um, less friendly than we had yeah. players but so I, when I'm manager of Liverpool I see the people dealing with the sun yes so then we get to my operation and, and I foolishly agreed to give them an exclusive the right of story that's fine yeah three weeks later we're playing in the semi-final replay against Portsmouth of the FA Cup it's a Monday night game. It's Aston Villa's ground. They had said to me, "I'm in hospital, post operation. If we, if can we have a photograph after the game?" I said, "You can have a photograph as long as we win." So I'm there with my wife. The game, the pho- photographer is there in the hospital. I'm watching the game. The game goes to extra time on the Monday night. It then goes to penalties on the Monday night, and then we win on penalties. I have a photograph taken. The idea was they were going to put that in on the Tuesday. Right. So they missed the deadline because of the extra time and penalties. So it can't go in on the Tuesday. So they then put in on the Wednesday. Now remember, I'm still in hospital. I'm no, I mean, I nearly died with the operation. I, I had no awareness of things that were yeah, happening sure, outside. Absolutely. So they put the picture on the Wednesday. And my bit of real bad luck was that Mike Ellis, who was a local journalist for The Sun in the Northwest, he had um, gone on holiday. So the newspaper in London, I put this picture on the front page on the Wednesday. So two things conspired against me. One that Mike Ellis was on holiday. Another one was the penalties, extra, extra time, time, missed yeah. the deadline. How tough. And after that, that I, I was reasonably popular with the yes. supporters as a player. Yes. They were giving me time as a manager. I think the vast majority knew it was a difficult job. But after that, after that, I should have resigned. Hmm. I should have resigned after the FA Cup final. Um, you know the writing was on the wall for me in terms of the support I was getting from the club did you lose the cup? no we won the cup you won we, the cup we won the cup what happened we played open heart surgery it was 25 years ago last Thursday I had this operation mm. so what what happens it's generally a 10 day and you get out yes well I ended up being in 28 days because I ended up having to be opened up again they opened you up in yes. those days today they would sort of fire a stent in to most of, block, most of the blocked arteries unless it was in a very difficult place you couldn't get a stent yeah. so in those days they opened me up so they opened me up and I ended up getting an infection so after 10 days I collapse I have to be reopened again and I end up spending 28 days in the hospital so when I get on the 28th day it's a Friday and the day the next day is the FA Cup final against Sunderland at Wembley so there was no arrangements made for me to get from my hospital to down to the hotel in Hertfordshire so I end up having to get a taxi to Manchester Airport and then I fly from Manchester Airport 
down to Heathrow and then have to arrange a taxi to take me from Heathrow out to the hotel. So, you know, the writing was on the wall yeah. that the club had distanced themselves from me there. Yes. What I should have done is seen the cup final out and then resigned after that. Yeah. Because That's to this day, and I get it, and I, I'm a big boy and I have to take my medicine, I get it 100% whether there be an element of the Liverpool's work will never accept my story. Yes. No. And that's something I have to live with. It's cir- circumstances. Um, you went on to manage uh, Graham a lot and uh, successfully as well. Um, uh, one in particular that many people might know about and many people may not is you manage in Turkey. Mm. Uh, Galatasaray. Yeah. Uh, and um, you did something there well, that was extraordinary and it made headlines around the world um, and you can tell yeah, well, th- just going back to my management I'm mm. mine, terrific career as a player won lots of stuff I, I um, won 11 trophies in three different countries as a manager oh I know that yeah in you Portugal know, so people sort of yeah. judge me and there's a sort of the, the idea that Liverpool was such a disaster that you know that sort of no no that's I mean, the flavour of my managerial career but we did win the FA Cup yes they would take the FA Cup right now wouldn't they sure would. you know in two and a half years we won the FA Cup um, at a time when it, the club was in a very difficult place so yeah I had, I had, eight, I had eight jobs in, as a manager I was only ever sacked three times but you asked me about Turkey I go to Turkey after Liverpool I take 18 months out I'm offered a job at Turkey when I go there Galatasaray in Turkey when I go there the way it is in Turkey there's a it's, it was a great job and that, you know you look at managers today and I think Pochettino's one I think Guardiola's one has walked into great situations yes. Pochettino both at Southampton when you look at the players that have left Southampton for big money yep. lots of them go to Liverpool um, and other places and then you look at his job when he gets his Tottenham great job to have at that time um, the young players again emerging and you look at Guardiola the two jobs he's yep. three jobs he's had now yep. so the, I'll get to a long winded way of getting there but I'll go to Turkey the way it is in, in, in lots of countries most countries is that the board gets a, a term they're elected they get a term in Turkey I think it's three years the board asked me if I'd be interested in signing a year's contract because they were in the last year right. of their contract so I'll go there and um, I'm photographed and then it's a bit like Rangers and Celtic, Arsenal, Tottenham, Man U. First passion. Liverpool. Yeah, rivalry. A vice president of, Gal- of Fenerbahce, who are Galatasaray's big rivals, he writes, what are, what are Galatasaray doing? Signing a cripple. And he was referring to me sort of two years before having had open right. heart surgery. So that stuck in my mind. A year later, we'd win the cup in their stadium and uh, the players all run down to our supporters who are behind one goal a big giant Galatasaray flag is handed over the barbed wire fence all the players take a turn to wave it it's handed to me I take a turn to wave it I now look to hand it to somebody else the players now have run back up to halfway line to get their hands on the cup so I'm left with this big flag so I'm now jogging back up to the halfway line when I say a big flag game and it was a big flag I saw the pictures and I look into <laughs> I look into the stand which are emptying I see the director's box and I can see this guy's face so the mischief in me says, I'll show you who's a cripple. So I ran to the centre circle, <laughs> planted this flag and thought, a great idea that was. But the minute I planted it and turned round, I'm seeing all the supporters now climbing over the fence right. to get onto the pitch to wish me goodwill, obviously. <laughs> I, um, I find a bit of pace from somewhere and I get up the tunnel and I'm underneath the perspex shields of the police. 
and the coins are bouncing and bottles are bouncing off these shields and I get into the tunnel and the tunnel might have been 40 yards long, long 30 yards long and I'm thinking I just got away with that and just as I thought that I got a clump on the side of the head a supporter got into the tunnel so I'm having a bit of a, a brawl with a guy in the tunnel and, and I get into the dressing room I'm, si- I'm, si- I'm sitting in the dressing room my right fist in, in a nice bucket and I'm thinking when the directors come down they'll have a plane ticket in their hand and they'll be saying get yourself home tomorrow when they came down they had, a lot of them had tears in their eyes they were saying it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to Galatasaray yeah. <laughs> they'll be remembered forever and um, I've never kissed so many men in my life and right. and uh, uh, you have to understand it's a bit like the Irish the Celtic thing where sure, yeah, macho yeah. Yeah, a macho yeah, part yeah. to us yeah. and it went down very well and so I'm loved deeply loved by one part of Istanbul now but hated yeah, another half. So <laughs> well, I just have to be careful where I go on. I just want to thank you very much, for, Graham, for doing this interview because uh, you know we all do here. When are we doing we, the second half? Well, well it's half of it. A, I know it is half of it. The one thing I want to finish uh, by asking you is um, about your time as a soccer analyst for mm-hmm. Sky, uh, the work you do for the Sunday Times, and of course. You worked. You're working for TV Three now, mm-hmm. and you worked with us in RTE, um, and we had great pleasure when you were there. Um, a new voice, uh, a shrewd observer, uh, and uh, we enjoyed it immensely. I take it you did as well. Yeah, I, I d- hope I, you did. I, I and I say this. I'm not saying this because I'm in your company. I learn. You know, I, I think it's a bit like a player. Even when you're 30, you turn up to train, you're still learning. Yeah. The minute you don't want to learn or you think you know everything, you're done. The same applies to the job I do now. I work with young guys. I think I learn things from them. When we work together, yourself and Johnny yeah. and Liam, I think, I'd like to think maybe there was a sentence I said in four or five years we worked together that you might have stuck in your mind. That certainly was yeah. the case in reverse. There's things you would say, Johnny would say or Liam would say, that, no, oh, I never thought of it. It's not you've not heard it before. Or what, you're coming at it from a different angle yeah. and something would stick in your mind and that was yeah. certainly the case when I worked for you guys I enjoy the work I do I'm very lucky that um, you know I, I started as a 15 year old although I had less doubt than most 15 year olds about becoming a professional mm-hmm. footballer there's still an element of doubt so it means that I've got you know I'm still 63 and I'm still earning yeah. money from football I played with great players I'm thinking of Liverpool in particular, where at 32 their career's over. Yes. Now their income now is going on match days to yes to um, walk around yeah, the tables and, all that, yeah. and yeah. you know walk around and, and yeah, speak yeah. to and these fancy yeah. prawn sandwich lounge that Roy King called them. <laughs> I am um, I'm very lucky and I, and I enjoy what I do. I, Ten years ago, I decided management was no longer for me. I didn't want to be beholden to the type of people that run football clubs now. And, and and I accept I'm of a generation where I find the attitude of some of the players, not all of them, disturbing. Yeah. I, I, I choose that word carefully, yeah. disturbing. Yeah. You know, they're, if they're entitled to this um, fantastic lifestyle that football now gives them. One they, last, they stopped learning a long time ago. One last question, Graham. In, in a fantastic footballing life you've had, a fantastic life you've had, but uh, who's the best player you ever played with and who yeah. was the best player you ever played against same, same person I um, at the end of the, my first year in Italy they picked a top undici that's 11 in Italian yeah. and we played a charity game against unbelievably Verona who had won the league that year the Pribonelki I remember the Danish yeah. striker yeah. 
and the big German midfield player, Hans-Peter Briegel. And a really good team. They won the league. So we went there, and there was people, you know, um, Junior was there, the, the Brazilian, um, and Platini, and Boniek. They picked out, I mean, it was a proper, and we, um, there was a guy playing called Zico, who had oh, played yeah. against, played against for Brazil. Yeah, so now I'm, play, now I'm playing yeah. with him. I wow. played against him in the World Great Cup Championship yeah. in Tokyo when we went there with Liverpool. Played against him in the World Cup in 82. He's playing for Brazil. That, arguably the best yeah. team that's never won yeah, yeah. a World Cup. Yeah. And um, played against him at Udine. And he did a couple of things at Udine which just, you know. Beautifully balanced. Yeah, I'd just not seen him before. He was all there. He had, you know, yeah. he had thighs that I mean, yeah, stocky. Yeah, yeah. Maybe five foot nine. And so I'm now playing with him. So if you imagine you're in midfield, he's in front of me, he's received the ball, he's watched the ball arrive, he's controlled it beautifully, but my head's up all the time. I can see the picture he's about to get as he raises his head. So I've said, go on then, that's the pass out in my head, that's out there to the left. Time and time again when that happened, he picked a different pass to what yeah. picture I saw. Yeah. And I thought, I've never witnessed that before. I'm on the pitch yeah. with this guy who is just seeing a completely different picture yeah. to me. So he was it. He, and then you know and then when I played against them there's only two players and you'll appreciate there's two players I played against because part of the game was in our day intimidation if you could yeah. if you're playing against especially the special players you like to try and let them know you were maybe physically stronger yeah um, there's two players I never laid a glove on he was one and I'm going to ask you the question who was the other one a midfield player that played for Arsenal in England Liam Brady? No, England he played for. Actually, England. Oh, sorry. Red here. You'll get him. Oh. World Cup winner, man. Alan Ball. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, knew never I played against Alan. Never laid a finger on him. No, Just too, I played against too Alan smart. when I was a kid. He was the same age as me, actually. Too smart. Yeah, very smart and nice guy, too. Yeah. Graham, thank you very much. For no, that. it's been a pleasure. I've enjoyed uh, it. I've enjoyed yeah, it. it's great for our Can listeners. We'll do the second half sometime. We will do a second half. Uh, and uh, for everyone listening, uh, that's Graham Sinez. Great player, great analyst, and a good guy. Thanks. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.